Welcome to Living a Stream Podcast, where we chat about movies, shows, documentaries that we watched on one of the many streaming platforms out there. Hosted by people who are living the dream, our own or someone else's, watching things on a stream, our own or most likely someone else's. We choose a platform and then a genre or a section of the platform, such as For You, Just Added, Critically Acclaimed, and then we discuss this movie using the Jimmy V 1993 SB speech rubric. If the movie makes us laugh, think, and cry, whether tears of joy or sadness, then it's a full movie. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Harrison. And I'm Josh Perez. And this episode's platform is Hulu. And the section genre is drama. And the movie we're talking about today is Whiplash. Yeah, baby. It's my first watch. Have you, you seen it before? I have, but it's been like, I want to say almost nine years. I think I watched it the year it came out. I love that. What have you been up to? It's for for everybody listening at home, this is our first podcast where we're recording in person. So this is super special. It is. Um, there's a last minute trip. I was able to come down to Albuquerque and I thought this is going to be a good time. Let's hit up Eric. Let's record in person. So sorry that I didn't see a lot of people. I'm in Albuquerque kind of snuck in and snuck out, but um, here to, you know, visit and hang with family. So at uh, least he didn't gaslight me this time and, and not see me. So, or, or I did the gaslighting last time. You're really going to like this movie. I think you really enjoyed you? it because Fletcher was like a king of gaslighting. King of ga- <laughs> Anyways, we're not going to get into that just yet, though. But yes, at least there was no gaslighting this time. I actually got to see Eric. He didn't lie about it to the general public. But what have I been up to, dude? Um, okay, so Eric and I have a, a birthday exactly a month apart from each other. Um, we're the same age. He's in his mid-30s, too. Uh, September 17th is my birthday. So we, yeah, dude, it was really good, dude. That was probably one of the, yeah, more fuller moments of, of this last month was just getting to hang out, cook dinner. Uh, everyone's like, what do you want to do? You want to, let's go out, let's go do this. Let's, you know, do all these different things. And I was like, um, I just want to cook like a whole ton of steak and eat steak and potatoes and have some drinks and just hang out at a house. So, uh, you cooked? Uh, no, the roomies, dude, oh, New Mexico, Drew, Brenna, shout out them. Well, so we went shopping we bought all this stuff. I helped. I was a Sioux, a oh, Sioux okay, chef. But, uh, yeah, so I put on the, you know, the seasonings and the, the, the rubs on it. And then, uh, Brenna rocked the cast iron and Drew rocked the, the grill. And you said the timer for the oven, like you were the assistant. Um, I think I just mostly sprinkled the salt and pepper. <laughs> like after it was done. Honestly, uh, no, before, dude. It's you your gotta, birthday. You it's your birthday. Before, and it is my birthday. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, dude. And then, uh, we asked, uh, people coming over to make a different form of potatoes. And that was, Incredible. so they brought, oh, dude. So there was like smashed potatoes, french fries, tater tots, mashed potatoes, blue cheese, mashed potatoes. There was, uh. Pause on the blue cheese. That's okay. vile. Wait, wait. W- Tell me, expound on that. Do you there's, hate blue cheese? There's nothing to expound. What? Blue cheese is vile. Everyone listening, I hope you feel attacked. I hope you feel targeted. Once, sophomore year of high school, we ordered Buffalo Wild Wings. Yes, shocker. And I didn't realize that I was about to dip into blue cheese, but I thought it was ranch. And I dipped in, a tra- it was a traditional wing, so nobody get mad at me. It wasn't boneless. Traditional wing, dipped it in, took a big old bite. It was blue cheese. And my taste buds were shocked. <laughs> And it sent this like electric feeling to my core that just for the rest of my life, I will not eat blue cheese. Well, I do make jokes about how they just offer blue cheese and they offer like, they're like, hey, do you want blue cheese or ranch with your, with your hot wings? And they do it just so you can have an option. But in reality, you're just going to choose ranch. 
So you I don't, don't like cheese either. ranch all the whole time. Well, I thought I didn't. Then I had these blue cheese mashed potatoes. <laughs> Dude, they they were surprisingly not because of the chef. This is the other thing. The chef PJ, uh, he may or may not get upset that I called him Chef PJ. He's an incredible cook oh. and incredible culinary person. And he made these mashed potatoes with blue cheese in it. And I was like, I don't really like blue cheese, but yes, I like all your food. And so that was a surprise. It wasn't a surprise to me that he made something awesome out of something that is something I t- typically do not like, but it blew my mind. Okay. So if he's a listener, I apologize. I'll try it. Shout out to you for supporting the podcast. But if you're not a listener and you're not listening to this, blue cheese is so gross. Dude, you but- know PJ. PJ from Los no Canyon, PJ. No way. Yeah, PJ. dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I will try blue Redact. cheese mashed potatoes. Redact that. Shout out PJ. Wow. You should have led with that. I'd be biased and I'd... Okay, I'll have to try it sometime this week. Well, that would have been no fun. Now I get to watch you <laughs> squirm over there. Oh my God. But yeah, dude, it was it was a good time, dude. It was super fun. Uh, yeah, just ate a whole bunch of meat and potatoes, dude. That's and incredible. accidentally bought way too much and I had steak. Me and the roomies had steak for like the last week. But... Uh, what was the drink of choice for your birthday? I made old fashions. And Ooh. I just batched it into this gallon thing so people can just pour it out. Because I don't want to be... I love that. No, no, was, that would take way too long. It would take a long time. But Do it, you have like the big ass cubes? Uh, no. No, dude. I'm sorry, dude. Let it down. Let it's down. the only reason. So, uh, have you ever seen Mad Men? The show? John Hamm? Oh, Why no. Why do regard it as one no. of the greatest shows ever? Lots of old fashions. Lots of scotch in that show. Like on the job. Okay. In the suits. And so that is... Anytime I'm on like a work trip and I'm still in like my, my, my suit or like my collared shirt, I feel like I have to get an old fashioned because of Mad Men. You've never seen Mad Men? No. Ooh, no. that's a different discussion. That's a different day. I know. I know, dude. Everyone talks about how good it is. And John Hamm's incredible. I think that's why he was never Batman, though. He'd be a great Bruce Wayne. Why? But because of, of yeah, No, because of Mad Men. I think this is, this is such a tangent. But I was thinking about Breaking Bad, like who's had the most success after. Oh. Right? And like... Aaron Paul, Brian Cranston was obviously already successful, but like not a lot of folks did after a popular show. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. I mean, John Hamm's great, but he's not really been a leading man in something huge. I want to think about that. Wait. The most success after Breaking Bad, I forget his name. I'm looking it up right now. Redact this is uh, Jesse Plemons. Dude, Jesse Plemons is, I love Jesse yeah. Plemons. He is, he's got range. He can be anything. You put him in like a B roll in any movie. He just crushes it. Think about that. Since is. Breaking Bad, who's had the most success? Jesse Wait, Plemons. is John Hamm in Breaking Bad? No, no. I'm just thinking about like with Mad Men, oh, right? Oh, gotcha. Like there's something about being in such a popular show. John Hamm was in uh, in Baby Driver 2017. He wasn't the lead guy. Baby Driver's amazing. But he was great. Yeah. He was really good. Think about that. Look at his filmography. That's so, that's, yeah. Well, I still got to check it out. Oh, he was in Maverick. Who's the leading man in Maverick? I Come know, on. I know. But I was gonna make a comment, but you'd have to redact it, so never mind. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I think um that's yeah. John Ham's incredible though. We so maybe I need to a watch a long it. John Ham tangent off we your did. birthday, but that's okay. No, that's okay. Oh, and then dude, it was just it was it was it was a really good birthday. A lot of people showed me a lot of love, got a lot of great, you know, messages and gifts and and it was just re- it was really cool, dude, to just celebrate life and that's awesome. You know, as we struggle to keep spinning on this rock floating in the universe, I sometimes I'm like, what's the point? No. <laughs> midlife crisis. But, yeah, dude, just always going through those those midlife crisis, uh, crises, crises, crises. And uh, but 
dude, freaking, um, dude, the roomies are just, they got me a, I didn't even know this existed. Did you know A24 has a membership? Like they no. have like a club membership. So I get an email that's like, hey, welcome. You got gifted this membership. And I was like, what is this? AAA. It's like triple A 24. Ooh, dude. It's, it's like, uh, 60 bucks a year, uh, just below 60 bucks a year. But on your birthday, you can get a gift for free that they send to you there. And I chose the ex machina screenplay book. That thing's valued at 60 bucks and they're shipping it for free. Then they get, they're giving, they give you like zines. So I got the past lives, uh, zine that's based on the concept that the movie talks about Inyun. Um, then they they send you um, a zine every quarter or so. And so another, I just got an email saying they're sending me another one. And A24 did a deal where they're taking over AMC theaters during the month of October and they're re- releasing four scary films each week on Wednesday. And they're like, hey, here's a discount. You get a free ticket to AMC, which I am an AC Stubbs member pass holder thingy. So I don't technically need that ticket, but now I can go and then give that ticket to someone else. And we can go watch either, I know, uh, the Vivich is one of them. The X, Under the Skin, which I know about X, it's that slasher film. Yep. You probably, you've seen it, yeah? Yep, great movie. And Under Midsummer. the Skin, never seen it, but the director's cut of Midsummer. Ooh. So what? I don't know if that makes it more intriguing or I should stay further away. You've seen Midsummer, yes? Yeah. Oh, incredible. I may or may not had a few drinks while watching it to give me the courage to get through that movie. See, for some reason, anytime I've had a couple of drinks before a scary movie, it makes it worse. Really? It makes it absolutely worse for me. Why do you say that? I don't know. Like my, I'm normally very happy when I have alcohol. Okay. And it it just ruins my mood. It makes me like, I don't know. It's much worse, much worse for me to watch. It just clashes movie. with the, the happiness feelings. Last and year. And the scary feelings. We, Kelly and I went and saw, this is a perfect example. We went and saw Smile in theaters. Horror movie, great movie. If you're a horror fan. Uh, and we went to Flix Brew and I had a beer. And by the time that beer was done, man, I was like terrified. And it was a good movie and it was scary already, but just there's something about alcohol that just elevates my fear. Damn. Not my courage. Okay. That, not my courage. I think it's because and then I get tired and I fall asleep and then I wake up in a weird scene and I'm like, I miss a lot. I don't know where I'm oh, at, but that's okay. Yep. Oh, that, so maybe it's more than, I should have more than more one drink. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but so I had no idea. I knew that the shop existed, but I had no idea you could be a member. I had no idea like all these different things that are at the store. Anyways, a lot of cool perks. Highly recommend. No, I don't. If I had a, what is it called? Like a, a link. It's like, hey, use my link and then you get like residuals. I would be doing that, but no, I don't have that. But still. You <laughs> That's should incredible. It. Should sign up. Um, but yeah, what about you, dude? What have you been up to? Uh, it's busy last week. I uh, went to a little little work road trip down to Crucis. Um, we're making some videos for for work and I went with Jordy and Brent and oh nice it was kind of nice that that night I forced them and like one of my coworkers you know, it's on the company dime right so shout out to the company for that <laughs> but I forced everyone to Buffalo Wild Wings and they were all really yeah, upset did. I was the one holding the power in my hand you know with the card and so we have Buffalo Wild Wings and then we get back to the hotel and it's scary movie time man and it was actually kind of fun to watch a scary movie with Jordy is like the old days, right? Like back when we were kids watching a scary movie at yeah. night, but we're on like this professional work trip. Uh-huh. And so he's in his twin bed next to me, uh, across from me, and I'm in the twin bed, dude. And we, we throw the movie on the laptop. We watch The Ritual, which has a horrible ending. Great, eerie movie leading up to it. About a group of friends who go hiking. Anyways, Jordy was trying to watch like some real demonic stuff and I just vetoed all of it. <laughs> and uh, it was actually super scary, super fun to watch. Felt like, you know, when you'd sneak a 
a bad DVD from Hastings back in New York, kid. Okay. That was super fun. But no, man, went to a pumpkin patch with the family. Oh, man. Oh, you know what? We filmed a commercial. We were part of a commercial for Isleta Casino on Tuesday. Oh, no way. Yeah, it was super fun. I think I saw it. Were you playing craps or roulette or something? Yeah, yeah, it was super fun. I don't know. I've been to the casino and actually gambled once in my life. Really? So I had to like TikTok tutorials some of the games because they needed it to be realistic, like how you throw the, oh. the dice, how you play your chips. Are you a big gambler? Uh, I can be. Aside from the stock market? <laughs> We don't talk about the stock market because <laughs> your boy is down 90-some percent. Josh but, and I uh, <laughs> had a, a short stint with some friends in the stock market in 2021. Yeah. Shout know, out GameStop. All the craze with Robin Hood. <laughs> uh, it was like one of those, you know, rob, rob Peter to pay Paul, except we got robbed. We got robbed and I don't know who Paul is. But, uh, dude, I got a text message. That Discord we were in? Yeah. Did I ever tell you? So, I, like, this was, yeah, 2021. Eric and I found this Discord, and uh, there was a bunch of Twitter people, and then we got other people involved. Our friends were like, hey, these people call out different stocks. People are making all this money. We had, like, a little, it was, like, a digital, like, trading room. Stock boys. Stock boys. And then, dude, my friend texted me, like, not too long ago, like, a year ago. It said, hey, aren't these the guys that you were following and they're all being indicted yep. by the sec and they're going to court and they're being like yeah i think it's like something around a hundred and something million dollars I, I went to their instagrams and they all have like ankle monitors their house arrest it's a it's the whole thing man wait really yeah we should jump on the lawsuit and get some some money yeah back. yeah we should we're talking big bucks like hundreds of dollars for <laughs> <laughs> anyways am i a big gambler yes because i played robin hood but um, no, I don't really go to the casino. I get too stressed. It gives me anxiety. But I like playing poker a lot. Oh, yeah, poker's fun. I think it's more of like the disbelief, like I can't win. So I'm just going to play home games. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like blackjack. Blackjack's fun. Yeah. It, it's just hard seeing people at the slot machines just because I know, click, click, yeah, click. man, I know I'd lose money so fast. But it was fun. A lot of the people that were extras on that set are like really actors here. Oh, in New no Mexico. Way. So I felt kind of bad. They were like, oh, yeah, tell, tell me about your work. I was like, I don't have any. I'm not an actual actor. I'm just here to make a couple hundred bucks, man. So it was good connecting with people. Oh, and seeing, that's great. Because the industry is big here. You know, the strike has has impacted people's livelihood, which is it's very different for me. It was just like a nice little yeah. day outing. Kelly and I had a good time. Yeah, people are just scrambling for, for extra work too. Right. Because so. it's all independent work, right? Yeah. So it's not affected by the strike. Exactly. Yeah. I hear so. now's the time. Now's the time for do more independent stuff. Write that screenplay. Make that short film. Thousand percent. But uh, speaking of short films and independent work, you want to jump into this? You want to jump into this movie? Yeah, the Whiplash, the notorious oh. independent <laughs> short film. Well, dude, it was originally a short film, which is great. And then that's what... You're kidding. Yeah, they made a short film to make it into a feature. Are you? Yeah, so they filmed it. They made it, I think it's like, I don't know, eight minutes or so. And then... Um, they used it to pitch to turn it to gain the 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 money. I mean, because Damien Chazelle didn't do much prior to prior to that. But before we get into that, real quick, let me just set up the movie. Um, yeah, Whiplash. We watched it on Hulu. It's in the drama section. And also, heads up, though, I really like this movie and I really enjoyed it, and I want to recommend it. I just want to do a little disclaimer though that it does have some pretty intense language, some hate language, some derogatory language towards a lot of different people groups. So just a heads up that it was jarring to to watch. This is my second time watching. I watched it, yeah, about nine years ago. And it was like 
whiplash to be on the nose to hear some of the 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 language that is used so just a heads up on that um if you decide to go and watch it after this review um but yeah i uh this movie it got a 94 on rotten tomatoes 94 on audience score although there's some things going around on twitter these days saying that rotten tomatoes are buying uh positive reviews so i don't know what's going on with that but this movie reads on Hulu as a promising young drummer enrolls at a cutthroat music conservatory where he dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. This movie is top rated on IMDb, number 41 out of 250 um, of all time, won three Oscars. That includes being nominated for uh, Best Motion Picture of the Year, J.K. Simmons, who plays the... The mentor villain. as the instructor, the villain, who will stop at nothing. He he won an Oscar for Best Supporting. Uh, Damon Chazelle was nominated for Adapted Screenplay. Tom Cross got for Best Editing. And there was another win for the sound mix mixing. Craig Mann, Ben Wilkins, and Thomas Curley. The movie stars Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, Melissa Benoist, Paul Reiser, and uh, several others. Because the cast is pretty limited. I mean... yeah. Right, it's it mostly follows uh, a few people throughout this journey of hell, dude. It was so stressful. One of the more stressful. It's like uncut gems. Just the entire time I was stressed, and being my first time watching it, I, I'd seen clips over the years. I mean, it came out almost ten years ago, so of course I'd heard about it, seen the trailer, seen clips on TikTok or Twitter. Um, but there's nothing like immersing yourself into the whole film the entire time I was stressed. And like, there's a car accident scene where he's rushing to perform. Mm. I, man, I was just the entire time. But Uncut Gems was like, I was stressed, but in Whiplash, it was like a negative kind of stress. And Uncut Gems, I was kind of excited to see what was going to happen the next thing. Okay. Like thinking of two stressful movies to compare, this one yeah. was not. There was no point where I was like excited or hopeful. That, really? That's the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At no point was I like, it's going to go really well at, at all. Interesting. Yeah, and I wonder, I, I mean, similarly, I wonder if it was intentional too, because that's kind of yeah. the, I don't know, a theme in it, I guess, right? Like yeah. Miles Teller's character, uh, Andrew Neiman, is just obsessed and he wants to be the best, right? He wants to be the best jazz player. He has a bunch of people like Buddy Rich and other jazz musicians that he looks up to that they show throughout the movie. And they have a lot of conversations around that idea of like what it means to be great. What do you have to do to be great? And there's even a conversation at the dinner table with a bunch of family, right? That he mentions jazz players being pumped up full of heroin and dead at 34. And I think Neiman made that comment, uh, something around the, lungs, the lines of that that is much better than to live to 90 and die and be remembered by nobody. And so I'm curious if that buildup of anxiety, the way that it's set up was intentional to be like mimicking that same, because mm. there's no buildup to that. It's like, yeah, you're, it's anxious, but it's like this this jazz player or greats are going to be dead at 34 versus uncut gems. Maybe I didn't I didn't really think that's where it was going to end. Like yeah, to his demise, yeah, exactly. Right. I didn't think he was going to die. Sorry that just ruined that whole movie. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I keep forgetting at the beginning that we're just going to spoil anything and everything, <laughs> everything that we, we talk watch. about. Yep. But in this one. Yeah, I think because they stated that, yeah. like, hey, jazz musicians, or specifically in this context and the people they're talking about, they're going to, that's where we're headed. Yeah. That's where Neiman's headed. That's where jazz is headed. That's where Fletcher's headed. Like all these, you know, so maybe that's why another reason why. Mm. I don't know. Speaking of the dinner table conversation, 
did that resonate with you at all? Like, have you ever had something that you were passionate about or interested in or pursuing where it didn't even have to be family, friends, confidants, anybody around you didn't understand or support? Because I thought that was an interesting, that scene was tough to watch, but I'm sure a lot of people relate to that, right? Where it's like people in your family or your friend group or in your community are going a certain route and you're not. Yeah, like, did you, did that resonate with you at all? That scene with the family where they're... Um, yeah, I, I don't know, because I think, I think that any kind of passions or pursuits that I've had were always first doubted, or it feels like they were first doubted, and the highest doubt comes from myself. Mm, <laughs> so interesting. I've, had, I've been at the dinner table with myself, like, what are you doing, Josh? Just do something simple. Go live to be 90 and, you know, die happy, and I'm over here like, but what if I want to, you know, try this, make movies, or be a writer, or yeah. go to school, or... Uh, you know, th whatever ambitions that I had. I mean, even with, even with uh, like Young Life, right? Like mm -hmm. I really wanted to do Young Life and doing that, I think there was always that inner conversation about like, I don't think I could do this. Like I'm not, even when I wanted to do it for the rest of my life, I didn't think I could do it because maybe the doubt, like I wasn't capable or I'm not good enough to continue to do this. Like it's good now, but maybe I'll never become that leader or that, you know, top person in this and that was Field? self, self, that was not self. from anyone else. And I think, I think too, that it, because it just seemed like we were just hanging out with a lot of people that I, I'm sure I felt the projections of that from other people. Mm. They're like, Hey, this is cool. And it's fun. Like, but what, what are you really going to do? Yeah. Like, what? this isn't a career. Yeah. You know, that kind of conversation, even though I was like, yeah, but this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to do right now. And so, and I think since then, you know, no longer working for young life and trying to figure out what jobs and career I'm still like. I don't really have a traditional career or like a set thing. And so, um, and now I think a lot of people have just realized, and especially family, they're like, well, Josh is, he has a roof, he's eating, yeah. he's alive. Yeah. So we're not, he's fine. <laughs> and we and I have talked about this before too, it's a generational thing, I think as well. Like when I left my first job, there was a lot of concern, even for my parents that were like, are you sure they treated you well? Mm. I'm like, this is substantially more money, better schedule. And so like even switching from job to job or career to career, is something that is a little bit foreign to folks, mainly of, a, of other generations. Um, but it's like, man, if you've got an opportunity, mm. whether it's starting your own business, whether it's just moving careers or working for somebody else, regardless, moving around a lot is, is different than I think traditional paths that like our parents' generation have taken, which is like you stay at the same place for 20 years, you retire, it's great, 25 years, 30 years, whatever. It's like, I've moved around quite a bit in my jobs, but there, every time I've moved, it's a better opportunity. It works better. Yeah. Schedule, it's schedule, it's finances, whatever. And yeah, it's, but you said something earlier when you were talking about your self-doubt. I've talked about it with a couple of coworkers after we read a, a book in one of our team huddles at work. And it's like that imposter syndrome sometimes you feel. And like, even when you are capable or you are learning, you feel that like, wow, can I actually make something out of this? Or I actually, do I, and I've felt that in a position before, like, I don't know if I actually deserve to be in the position mm. I'm in or be paid what I'm getting paid. Yeah. But you just like fake it till you make it. Or like, you know, yeah. you're trying something new. It's like, am I actually capable of making this happen? But yeah, it's interesting that you said, you know, for the most part, people have been supportive, but most of the doubt comes from inside. Yeah. And I think imposter syndrome, that gets thrown around a lot. And I hear it a lot within creative spaces, but realizing that I don't think it's like a space like a specific industry or specific lane 
concept that gets talked a lot. I'm like, I think this is just a human thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's everyone almost in any position anywhere. Thousand percent. And so, what about you? Have you, 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 did that scene resonate with you in any way? Uh, mainly in like the things I've said when I've switched careers or switched jobs or, or moved from one place to the other. There's a lot of concern, like, well, that was stable. Yeah, that had retirement. This doesn't. This is this is private sector. There's no there's no retirement. And so, it's like, well, it's a better opportunity. So it's not as drastic as this, right? Where it's like, like you didn't have a passion that was like out there, like. I guess you used to skateboard. Did you yeah. ever think at some point that professional skateboarding? I loved that. That was so much fun. I, I don't think I ever had, I think I always knew that I would never actually become a professional skateboarder, but I skated for so long. And there was even that short time where you made fun of me, but I was like sponsored. Dude, and you were amateur pro, dude. You got <laughs> oh sponsored. God. You had to submit videos once a month or something. Yeah. And that was so much fun. And I just, I think I enjoyed, I think I was a realist and knowing I would never go pro. Or, or anything of that sort, but I had fun in the seasons that I was doing it. So like traveling, I was working at a skate shop and when I was sponsored, we were traveling and doing skate trips and that was just a blast. And so I was just enjoying it there. And I think it's so funny because I feel like it's even heavier now, especially on upcoming generations. But it was like in college when I was doing it, people were like, well, aren't you going to take college a little more seriously or take a job a little more seriously? I'm like, man, I work at a skate shop, at a skate park. I sell candy and skateboards. And we went on it. We go on road trips to skate. Like this is fun. I'm just enjoying it. And so I knew I would never make a lot of money off it or make a career out of it. But I just, I guess, I took my time figuring things out. Even when I proposed to Kelly, I was making minimum wage. Like oh, there were a lot okay. of decisions that I made that were like didn't probably make a lot of sense that people questioned. I was like, oh, I just love her, want to get married, and I'm like, oh, I probably should figure out a job. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's kind of important. So, anyways, a lot of stuff like that. It was. Not that people, they weren't supportive, but it was like, are you, are you ready for what you're doing or are you taking things seriously, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. Which is interesting because I think that that is kind of cyclical. Like it keeps, it's patterns that can always happen because I feel like older generations that come before us did the same thing where they didn't, they proposed with on minimum wage or they didn't have a lot of money or they made these decisions because they thought it'd be fun. They do these things and, yeah. and it worked out for them. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, it's just that fear. It's like, well, it worked out for me. It's not going to work out for everyone. Yeah. That's my, that's my baby boy. That's my baby girl. That's my baby yeah. kid. Like those are, that's my child. Like what, you know, it's just funny. Cause it, it's, they did the, same, they did the thing. same thing, you know? And what's funny is like friends have always been supportive of the friend group I've had, but I did talk to some friends recently and we discussed that nobody supports you less than your closest friends. Like we were, we like, for example, our friend Kylie, she was in nursing school. And she'd have a big test the next morning. And she's like, all right, guys, I got to take off. I got to test. And we're like, nah, stay for another drink. You know, stay for, we're going to order pizza. Stay late. And it's like, you're going to be fine. And so we joke about that. But no, friends have always been supportive. And it sounds like the same for you, right? Like, yeah, as you pursue different endeavors. Yeah. And I think that's what's, that's what's important. I think I used to, younger, high school, college, where you get a little frustrated because it's, it, it's like, well, I just want, family to support me the way that my friends do mm. but your friends can support you because there's there it's not that there's less risk but they can believe in you and and say for you to go for your dreams because if you don't if you don't make it i feel like that impact or that that view is different from like a parent or mm. like family right but i think i've appreciated over the years that you do i need both like i need that balance of like a care and intentional family love that's like hey i want to support you and also want to help guide you 
and at the same time needing that like reckless support sometimes you get from friends you're like pro skater or yeah, yeah. Like, all or nothing you're yeah. gonna make it you're gonna die that is it and so um yeah i think i've i i've appreciated i mean and we see a lot of that in this right where yeah. where andrew neiman really wants to be this jazz drummer and he's going so hard and he's going so like in like the intensity he's going after this dream to the point that it's impacting relationships. It's like the he starts dating, you know, uh Nicole, played by Melissa Benoist. And it seems like seemingly that they're doing great. And they met because he was going to a movie with his dad. And he even makes a comment about like he's like, I still go to the movie theaters with my dad. Cause he, you know, Andrew says that he doesn't he goes to this conservatory, Schaefer Conservatory. Not a lot of people at Schaefer like him. He doesn't have a lot of friends. And because Nicole's from somewhere else. I can't remember. It's yeah. California or something. And she's like, I feel homesick all the time. And anyways, they bond over this like human moment of missing home, missing family, or missing, you know, feeling left out, feeling they yeah. don't belong. And he's starting to find some of those places. And then he just like, it's like, hey, I got to break up with you because I'm going to be great and you're keeping me from being great. Yeah. That is wild. Like that is a wild thing, right? And I, I mean, I get it. He's like trying to do something and move forward and, you know, achieve something and trying to remove barriers. But uh, you you see a lot of that. Like, I think you do need that balance of like mm. reckless support. But if it's like ruining relationships, because I think I do fall more on that side of like, but that's, I, th I think it's more important to be like to live in the now and be remembered by the people that are alive than die being remembered for gender. I'm like, no one, you don't know them and you're never going to know who's going to yeah. know you. You know what I mean? Like, I think like, I always think about like Vincent van Gogh and everyone, you know, that name, you know, his paintings, but when he died, he was poor. He never sold a painting. Yeah. And so it's great now, but he never knew that. And so it's just, it's interesting to think about the people that are great and we hold to high regard, but all that to say, I wanted to ask you like, because of this intensity that Andrew Neiman was going after, there was times where he was practicing and playing or even in session with Fletcher, J.K. Simmons' character, the the bully mentor, where they would start bleeding. Mm. Uh, have you ever have you ever been like so intense on something like to that extent where you're like, did you skate like carry a skateboard every day? I know you say that you never thought you'd be a professional, but did you have moments of that or in any, not just skateboarding anywhere else in your life where you're like bleeding literally or metaphorically trying to pursue or practice the thing that you want to go after or achieve? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. I played drums and mm. I never, I never bled playing That's drums, right. but definitely got a lot of blisters. So watching this was just like thinking to play to that point where you're bleeding like that was just outrageous. So just had to throw that in there because I've definitely had blisters before. But no, I mean, to bleed is just, yeah. um, you know, with skateboarding, any time, especially when I had to put videos out for that sponsorship, any trick that like, and, and you know, Jordy filmed a lot of it and anybody who has clips and I even have clips on my computer when I was skating, it would take 30 or 40 tries before I landed something. And it's so funny looking back on that now, it's like I would spend, so James Monroe Middle School, right down the road and there was like an eight stair and I was trying this trick down the eight stair and I have clips. There were 38 tries and I got it on the 39th, but my shirt was ripped. I was bleeding and it was for no reason. It was for a, a clip on, on a camera that I didn't end up putting in any video. It was literally just for my own satisfaction. Like I have to make this happen. And it, skateboarding was always interesting in that way because even before I was sponsored, even afterwards, when I would try, mainly in high school and, and like into college, 
anytime I try to trick it, it take dozens and dozens and dozens of times and no one's recording, no one's watching. It's just on my own and I'd be bleeding. My shirts or pants would be ripped, but I had to just, I had to do it. That was the, that's the one thing in my life is skateboarding that I had that relentless pursuit, reckless pursuit, regardless mm. of physical pain. Mm. And yeah, there were videos and photos and like sponsorships for a short period. But beyond that, there was literally no reason other than my own satisfaction. And it's, you can talk to anybody who's skateboarding. It's not <laughs> unique to me. Anybody yeah. who's done skateboarding will say like, yeah, they're at the Siebel Skate Park at nine o'clock at night before the lights turn off at 8.58 trying to land a trick. No one's watching. Nobody cares. And no one will ever care. But you just have to do it for yourself. Mm. And so I thought that was, that, that's like, that would be my thing. Which is funny, yeah, because I think I can think of so many specific locations, schools, instances where I skated with some friends that there's no record of it. No one cares. No one will ever know. I can ask my friends who are there. They may not even remember, but I do. Yeah. It's weird. It's a weird thing. Dude, one of the, speaking of records that people did see, and I have seen that I think about every now and then when I think about you and skating, is remember that trend that was going around on TikTok that had that that sound bite that's like dumb oh, ways yeah, to yeah. die, and you, it's you bombing the ditch somewhere in Albuquerque, oh, yes, dude. Yes. That video is horrifying because you're like cruising down. You just see you get the wobbles, dude. Oh and yeah, and you just eat it again. This was one of those things. So much fun just to have this lasting like 20 oh. second clip of me just dying. And there's, yeah, all cut up. Anyways, it's super I'm funny. like patient one because like, you know, scraped my elbow and then go into like sewer water. <laughs> patient one. You're patient with ground zero? Yeah, ground zero. That is so funny, dude. Um, And yeah, dude. And then, and then the thing that I think that's a little different too about what you just shared in this movie, but is that you you enjoyed it and you wanted it and did you have like a Fletcher pushing you to do that or no not for skateboarding I don't I was thinking about that in in watching this and I took a little note I don't think I've ever I've worked for people not currently okay shout out my current employer <laughs> and not even my previous employer but I have had jobs in the past where someone because you know the character J.K. Simmons I read this thing from uh the director Chazelle he said he gave J.K. Simmons direction that I want you to take it past what you think the normal limit would be. I don't want to see a human being on screen. I want to see a monster, a gargoyle, an animal. And so I've worked for people who act in that way, who are narcissists and so hateful in the way that he was in this movie. But the difference was there was no, they weren't, they weren't even hiding it under the guise of like trying to elevate you to be great. It was yeah. just that's how their personality was. But I don't think I've ever played for a coach in a sport played an instrument or or where i had somebody like a fletcher have you um i don't think so um yeah i don't i i don't know not to, at least not to this intensity and i think obviously this is a movie and like you just read the, where he want where the director wanted him to take it really push that to make it i'm sure these people exist yeah i'm sure, sure they're real like and that's the other thing i think about this character and like even the dialogue, the things he's saying, the way he acted, I think the the reason I I appreciated this movie in this sense is that it is reflecting how some people operate in this world mm -hmm. and and what they're going to do. That there are these like levels of narcissism. Um, I don't know if I've ever I've ever experienced that. Yeah. I think there's been times where I was pushed and maybe I felt that because I was a dumb like you know teenager. Yeah, and, you thought you know, it I was thought this that I was like no, but this the, these people actually care. These people actually like they're pushing me to be great. 
because they want me to be great. Like, because mm. the difference, I think, too, Fletcher wanted people to be great because he wanted to be the person that found the person that is great. Like he talks about, I think it's Charlie Parker, I think yeah, is the name, yeah. right? Where he said, you know, so eventually he pushes, you know, Andrew Neiman so hard that Andrew quits and then it gets out that Fletcher shared in one of the classes that he got a phone call, a past student died in a car accident. But then after Andrew Neiman quit, then a lawyer approaches the family and they find out that the student didn't die in a car accident, that he actually took his own life. And so, you know, later in time, Fletcher and Andrew have a conversation and he says something along the lines of that he pushed people, he wanted people to find, you know, find someone great. He, ne he goes, I never found a Charlie Parker, but at least I tried and that's more than anyone else has ever done. And I think that, I'm like, it's still about you. Like, you yeah. Know, like, yeah, you're pushing someone to be great, but you're not pushing it for the the progress or like the to add to jazz music, you're pushing it to add to you, mm -hmm. to add to your reputation. Fletcher wants to be the person that finds it. So I don't think I've ever worked maybe necessarily for you know someone or uh, played a sport or was coached by anyone that was in that way. But like I'd mentioned, like in high school, for example, when I played varsity soccer, I'm not, I hadn't played in like years and I wanted to play because I thought it'd be fun. It's my brother's senior year. And I thought it would be fun to, you know, play on the same team as him. He's not going to play soccer at, at Cibola High School. Shout out Cougars uh, anymore. So I decided to, to try out and I literally gunned for backup keeper. Like I was like, as long as I'm backup keeper, I'll be on the team. I don't necessarily have to play. It's going to be great. Dude, I threw up every day that <laughs> whole summer, dude. It was so bad, man. Like I was out of shape and the coach uh, was a former collegiate coach. So I don't know if that had any influence of like the level of intensity and pushing he was doing, but he genuinely, I think he genuinely cared, but it was intense, like to the point where I was thrown out. He would like pull me aside and he was like, hey, are you taking care of yourself? I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, are you doing drugs? Are you partying? Because you so throw throwing up every day. He's like, because you're throwing up every day. And I was like, coach, I don't know if you've seen me. I'm out of shape. <laughs> I am struggling. We're running. It's hot. And look at me. No, I'm throwing up because this is hard. <laughs> I can't hang. And so it was pretty bad, dude. I think I had eight cavities that fall. Oh, All Lord. back molars because of the acid. What? <laughs> it was intense, dude. It was intense. So when we think about being pushed, and again, this isn't to knock on, and it's not to knock on that coach. Yeah. Like, I really don't. I'm not trying to compare Fletcher to this coach. It's just, it was just more of that like being pushed to something. And it was different too because I didn't carry a soccer ball with me or put my goalie mm. gloves on the whole time. Like I, I wasn't passionate in that sense. I just wanted to be on the team. Yeah. Um, so I can go to IHOP during state and, Absolutely. and get, you know, food and go it's on the bus. Key benefits. Yeah, it's yeah, the free exactly. snacks. Exactly. It's the free snacks. But, uh, but yeah, no, 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 no. I, I don't think I've ever really had a Fletcher. I think there's a way to push people too. I mean, I, Coach Gabaldon, he was a coach at Volcano Vista. He was a football coach and then the track coach. And I remember we were doing, uh, we were just, we were, we were doing high knees, we were jogging something around the, the 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 track, and my sweats fell down, and I stopped to pull him up, and he read me. He's like, "What the hell are you doing? Stopping? Like, keep going, pull your damn pants." You know, real tough like that, but never degrading. I think there was a difference. There's yeah. a line between pushing people, and I had slowed the team down by my pants dropping. So, like, yeah, he's mm. gonna he's gonna berate me, but never did I feel like my character was under attack. Yeah, or like like the hate speech that, that J.K. Sims character Fletcher used in this movie. 
most co- coaches I had were super tough. And I think yeah. there, there is something to be said about tough love, especially in like a physical sport. But this is just not that at all. And I, and I know there's a lot of conversation around that. And at the end, so the, in that ending scene where Fletcher kind of gives him that nod when they're playing that song, like, hey, you've yeah, done yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, it, for a split second, I was like, sick, this is cool. And I was like, no, wait, no, it's not. Right? It's, it, there's a moment where I'm like, there's a resolution. He's finally made him proud. And I was like, what am I doing? No, yeah. no, he's a badass drummer and he would have been successful regardless. But because I was, ga- we were, the audience were gaslit, like all this evil, hateful stuff that happened throughout the movie. And in the end, they have their own come to Jesus moment where like he, he gives him his approval. And I was like, nice. There is a happy ending. I was like, it's not mm, at all. It's not. Like, what are we, what am I doing? Right. So that, I thought that was funny when he kind of just nods. I had this moment of like joy and I was like, nope. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, cause we talked, me and the roomies watched this the other night and we talked about that. Like, was he actually trying to help him? Was he not? Like, you know, that's a, I feel like the main thing. Does he actually care? Does he doesn't? And because, dude, the opening scene when Neiman is just playing, Fletcher comes in. Oh yeah, and he's like, "Hey, you're you're playing or whatever, right? Was that you just playing?" He's like, "Okay," and then he starts playing again. And he goes, and he seems like he's interested, and then he retorts back. He's like, "I didn't ask you to play. Why'd you act like a wind up, you know, toy or something, yeah. right?" And so it was instant. Like this dude is a psychopath. Yeah, I'm gonna lean it. I'm gonna give you something. I'm gonna show you like I care. I'm interested, and then I'm gonna tear you back down. But then I'm gonna because then he tells him he goes, "Let me hear your double swing." And then when he goes into the big class, when it's not just Neiman practicing on his own, when he's actually with other players and he goes around like, hey, trombones, hey, trumpets, hey, drums, why don't we hear a double time swing? And I'm like, did he give him a heads up on purpose? Because he's he almost gave him, mm. you know, like a hint of what he's going to ask him later because he's been practicing it because he's like, oh, Fletcher t- wanted to hear my double swing. And then he just disappeared and walked out during that uh, opening scene. Yeah. And then it did give him kind of an edge when he actually showed up to class and was recruiting for drums, right? And so we we just talked a lot about that whole up and down, up and down. And he's like, I care about you. I'm interested in you. Tell me about your family. And and then he uses it against yeah. him. Like he's like, no wonder why your mom left. Like just like you're saying, tearing down character, attacking character. Versus the actual skill that they're working on. Yeah. And I was thinking too, even if his his passion was not Neiman or the individuals, it was just music as a as a whole. There's that scene where maybe it was the trombone. Yes. He's like, someone's out of tune. And then he just starts berating people and like it's this really tense scene where he's like the fa- he's like, either you know you're out of tune and you're lying to me, or you don't know, which is even worse. And he berates the guy, he's like, You're out of tune, listens to him play and kicks him out. And then he's like, He wasn't out of tune, it was you. He points the guy in the back, he's like, I just wanted to make him squirm or whatever. I'm like, so he actually never cared about no. music. It was he just liked the power. And that scene was was telling in that way where it's like, maybe he just is passionate about music. And then at the end of that scene, you're like, nope, he's passionate about power and 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 controlling people because he berated that guy and kicked him out and he wasn't even the one out of tune. He knew he had instilled such fear yep. that the guy second guessed himself to whether or not he was out of tune. Like that scene alone is like, nope, he actually doesn't care about elevating music or musicians. Yeah. Power and fear. Dude, that scene was so brutal. Oh, <laughs> it hurt. It hurt so bad. And the guy who was actually at a tune, he just gets like, to stay. Yeah, he just jokes with it. He'd like, you know, brutal. Oh. And and to circle back to it, you originally were chatting about that final scene, right? Where he gives him the nod. And oh, yeah. There was a, because what happens in that last scene is Neiman 
Fletcher reconnect, right? And then he, you seem like he got humbled because he got he got let go, yeah. fired, resigned, whatever it was. He had to leave the conservatory. Now he's leading this big old whatever is it jazz festival yeah. concert, and he needs a drummer. So he tells Neiman, "Hey, come drum for me." And then he just bait and switch, man. Where he's yep. he's like, "You think I don't know? It was you who ratted on me, kind of thing, right?" Yeah. And so then the first song is a a song that he didn't give him a heads up to do. So he's just literally just set up to fail, right? And it's right after that conversation about Charlie Parker, where he's like, well, where Neiman, before, when he, the moment he invites him at that jazz club, where they're having a drink together, where he invites Neiman to, to drum with him, they have somewhere in that conversation, he talks about how the Charlie Parkers won't give up. Mm. Cause he's like, Hey, do you ever think you've gone too far or that you're going to push someone too far that the next Charlie Parker will give up? And he goes, no, that's the point. The next Charlie Parker won't give up. And it almost like tortures the, the like mental headspace I think of the viewer and of Neiman because then when that happens he sets him up for failure he puts a song he's like hey we're gonna do a song that you don't have and he utterly fails super embarrassed he walks off stage that I'm like was he pushing yeah like is that the Charlie because he's like hey if you're the really the next Charlie Parker you wouldn't give up you're gonna come back you know and then maybe that's why he does the nod where he's like yeah 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 because he's like no you're you're becoming the person that I wanted you to be anyways when I first watched this though I actually read the screenplay first. Super nerdy, I know. But I didn't really have an interest in watching this movie, to be honest. And I think it's because something, or I don't know, early 2010s or whatever, I didn't know if I liked jazz music for some yeah. reason. I love it now. But it was a weird thing. I was like, I don't want to watch a jazz movie. Read the screenplay because it gets nominated. And I was like sweating reading that screenplay. It was so stressful. The point of that, though, is, is that the screenplay that I read, because there's maybe an older version, shooting mm -hmm. script, there's differences. The The screenplay I read, he walks off, but his, uh, Nicole, his ex-girlfriend, is actually in the crowd with her mm. boyfriend. And she's she's watching him play, watching him get embarrassed. He walks off stage. His dad meets him just like in the movie. But then the stagehand comes up and he's like, sir, you can't be here. And he looks at Neiman and says, hey, do you know this man? And Neiman says, no to his own dad and his dad's like no like Andrew what 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 are you doing what come on let's go and he's like no I don't know this man and he walks back on stage and to me cuz I don't think that was in the movie no, it, no you know none of those things it was almost as if you know I think he even has it in the description in that script that I read that, that in that moment he's choosing that the the somebodies that he knows in his life will be nobody and then the nobodies you know, that don't know him, he wants to be somebody to them. Mm. And in that moment, he chooses, I will be dead at 34, pump full of heroin, but I'm going to be great. Yeah. And so he walks back on stage. I thought that was a really cool thing that I don't know if I necessarily, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I, I love the way the movie played out anyways, yeah. but a part of me is like, would that have oh, made that it a been... little better? I don't know. Interesting. You And you read it before you watched it the first time? The first time. Oh, wow. In 20, you know, when 2014-ish. Yeah, see that that's what like when I talk about my passions or you, I, I feel like that this is a, the way Neiman portrays his passion for music is just different because it's yeah, at the dinner table, he's aspiring to be dead early, dead young, yeah, remembered. And where whereas like my passions are because I want to be good at something, because I care about something, not necessarily because I want to die and everyone remember me. But no, I'm not saying that everybody who has a passion is like yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. there there are certain that is just Yeah, it's a struggle. I think it is a struggle. And I think I don't know. I don't I don't know if everyone thinks about this, but I know I have. And 
some of the writing that I do that I don't really do anything with, uh, there's, I write about that idea of people. And I think sometimes it's easier to explore my own feelings through another character. And maybe mm-hmm. that's why, you know, people write fictional stuff sometimes too. They graft the part of, you know, who they are. But I, there, there's like this whole storyline that I've, I've been developing, but it's about, yeah, a kid who's obsessed with all these authors and books and people, but they're all people that died before they were anybody. Mm. And so it's just interesting to be like, why do you want to be a timeless person if you weren't any, like the people in front of you, there's no impact there. Um, having impact post-death is very interesting to me yeah. because I understand it could be great for people, but you know the suffering of the individual, like is it worth me, Josh, suffering and not you know cutting off a lot, ruining a lot of re- relationships, ruining a lot of friendships, disassociating myself with like family and people just to be great, to maybe be successful in this life, but ultimately because you want to be remembered by a bunch of people you'll never meet and won't really truly care about you, but your contribution. And I understand some of the contributions are great for society, yeah, but sure. also that's subjective. Some people will say it's great. Some people will be like, hey, that greatness isn't great. It's like the first episode we did with uh, Deepest Breath, right? Where, oh, I forget his name, the gentleman who died. Free diver. Oh, uh, Stephen? Steve, yeah, yeah Stephen. Stephen. Where at his memorial dive after he had passed, all the people he had impacted while he was here yeah. were there paying respects. And like, yeah, he has a lasting reputation-ish in that yeah. world for sure. Not like some of these people we're talking about, but he impacted real people in real time in his actual in his current state of living. He died in a freak accident, so he dedicated his life to his craft, but still obviously made lasting and positive impressions on the people around him at the time too. So like, you don't to, to yeah, I I enjoy living and the people that I live with and around and the community and that that I have a family and friends and. Yeah, to, to, to think about cutting that off, uh, yeah, at the, depending on what your passion is to possibly be successful, not, not necessarily my cup of tea. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, enj- I actively am enjoying what's happening, you know? Right? And I don't I, know. And maybe that's, that's a, cool th- a cool thing to, to look at and be intentional when we, about the deepest breath to mm. think about is that I think Stephen, he became great because he was caring about people. Mm, like, yeah. he was always drawn to people. He was traveling the world, doing all these different things, right? And he did make some sacrifices, right? Because yeah, he course. said he didn't have a family. He was 38. Yeah, the didn't wife have and kids. kids yeah. Am I being judged? All that stuff, right? But at the same time, you know, he ended up uh, somewhere, it was in Egypt, somewhere in Africa, North Africa, where, I forget the name of the city, but where he ended up falling in love with freediving. And then he was doing freediving for a bit. Yeah. And then because of his hardship and struggles, he's like, oh, I think I want to be a freediving um, safety swimmer, right? Yeah. And it just kept leading him to greatness, not because he wanted to be great, but because he genuinely like cared about the people around him. And it really reflected uh, at his funeral, right? Where they all those people showed up and they swam and they held their breath for 38 seconds or 39 seconds. And right? although he didn't have the wife and kids, like, you know, what he traditionally thought would have been success, he fostered the relationships that he did have. Yeah. You know, so all, yeah, there were sacrifice, but there were still relationships that he got to share. Yeah life with and i don't think he wanted to be immortalized but he became great and he definitely is known in the freedom community right way more than anyone else but now he's on a a document he's immortalized this documentary this film Mm. um you know streaming on netflix that whole thing so but that wasn't his really his goal right he was anyways so maybe i guess what i'm saying is maybe there's a way to do both and honor both yeah you know the people that are going to 
come and the people that are here now and you can still you know have a positive contribution to society while still maintaining maintaining relationship. not having to go through hell like yeah. demon in this movie and getting symbols thrown at your head anyways dude any last thoughts about any any anything else before we close out no i'd say it was a full watch for me i i, I wouldn't say i cried but i did feel emotion heavy yeah. emotion I'm not gonna say when i left <laughs> Redact. yeah but it was it was a full watch just based on the, the emotion i felt and, and the it lingered in thought yeah no it definitely the same it held me in thought there was some humor dark humor it was intense uh i think there was i didn't i didn't cry necessarily like i didn't like leak tears you know i think there was possibilities so it's not a full watch in that regard like i didn't didn't cry but I think there's a possibility of this being a full movie for a lot of people because, dude, I almost did with that scene you're talking about where he said someone's out of tune. And I felt so bad for that. Yeah, that was... For that uh, gentleman. It was brutal, dude. So I think that it definitely stirred emotions up to the point of feeling a whole lot. Um, and it has high potential for for a full watch. That being said, though, I do... I liked it. It's good. I recommend it. Like I said, with the disclaimer that there is some very intense, violent language, hate speech, misogyny, homophobia. So just a heads up about that and the character of Fletcher. But uh, it did launch, um, you know, Damien Chazelle, and I've really appreciated some of the movies he's come out with uh, in recency. But yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, this is Living a Stream, produced by Three Milks Media, uh, produced by Eric Harrison and myself. If you like this, Go ahead and leave uh, some stars on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, leave reviews, rating. It really helps Eric and I's um, self-worth and, <laughs> and ego. And uh, if you didn't like it, go ahead. You can email joshespeople at gmail.com and we'll get back to you um, as soon as we can at our earliest convenience. Uh, if you want episodes sent directly to your email, you can go ahead and sign up for the Dairy Dispatch. It's a Three Milks Media Substack newsletter where we send out episodes when episodes drop directly to your inbox, as well as bonus content that is only posted on Substack that will not be released on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get pod, uh, episodes. This bonus content will varies different categories that involve the movie and Eric and I's thoughts. And so thank you so much for listening. Take care. In the meantime, keep, uh, keep living, keep finding those full moments, keep thinking, keep laughing, keep crying and, uh, yeah, keep streaming. We'll see you next time.